Amen. Good evening. Xavier and Trudy, I ran into them in the hallway this afternoon as they were coming in, uh, still carrying their luggage and stuff. I think they came here first before they got to the airport. Crazy. Those crazy kids. I said, uh, Xavier, you you wore those shorts? (laughs) Wow. But uh, yeah, they're back. They're back safely. They had a great time, I heard. We're going to be in the book of Judges. And we're going to talk about Samson, his great potential, and his great failure. Let's go before the Lord in a word of prayer first. Lord, we thank you, God, that that you would uh, gather us together like this, Lord, to to learn through these events, through these people that you have called. Lord, we are... Uh, just so uh, humbled at the work that you do. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you would do even more in our lives as we submit to you. And I pray, God, that you would teach us now, Lord. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Judges chapter 13 through 16. I'm not sure we can get through all four chapters, but these are the four chapters of Samson. Amazing uh, story. And I chose this because at first I didn't know what to talk about, but um, um, it was um, it was one of those moments where I said to myself, I, I, w- what person in the Bible is, is, is interesting to me? And Samson, I'm, I'm very perplexed by. It's, it's, it can be a little confusing, but you see, once you study, you see uh, what went on. A great contrast happened there. And, and there's great contrast everywhere. If you look in the beginning of uh, Judges, there's a great contrast between the book before it and Joshua. In Joshua, we see God's people conquering versus God's people defeated in Judges. In Joshua, we see God's people obedient and trusting in the Lord through the leadership of Joshua, right? And then versus the next book, Judges, God's people idolatrous and rebellious. It kind of speaks to us about who we are as as, as people, as humans, we can be so right on and so uh, so righteous in our walk and then defeated and rebellious. Uh, even in Joshua, before we get into Judges, Joshua, before he dies, he encourages and he warns the children of Israel. In uh, Joshua 23, 6, he says, Therefore, be very courageous to keep and to do All that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. He warns them because he knows them. He knows them. He's going to give them a warning before he leaves. And 
he says in uh, 2311, he says, Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord, your God, that you love the Lord, your God. He says, be careful and pay attention to yourselves that you love the Lord, your God. You think Joshua knows the people well? I think so. The Lord knows you, and he warns you. If there's uh, no possibility that you would get hurt, uh, why, why warn you? We have the possibility and the probability that we, would, or that we could be or bring ruin, uh, bringing ruin to our lives. And so God warns us. So one of the first steps that we see towards sin is compromise. Compromise starts very subtle. And even before we get to the book of Judges, the compromise was getting started. The Lord makes sure he kind of gives us a little inside scoop. He tells us on the very, very last verse of Joshua chapter 24, verse 33, the last verse. And, and you, you miss it like I did. You miss it if you're, if, if you're not paying attention. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died. They buried him in a hill belonging to Phinehas, his son, which was given to him in the mountains of Ephraim. That's it. That's the last verse of Joshua. And then we go right into Judges. Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died. He was the priest, right? And Eleazar was the son of Aaron. They were all the priestly family. They buried him. Phineas was, uh, was his son. Now, it seems innocent enough, right? But... Um, Yeah, my notes here. Throughout the Bible, the numbers, uh, the book of Numbers tells us uh, that the Lord speaks to Moses in many, many different ways. And he, he spoke to him concerning the direction of the people. But in Numbers 18, he speaks to Aaron directly regarding his Levitical calling as a Levite, as a priest. And he speaks to the Lord speaks to Aaron directly about his priesthood. And in Numbers 18.20, he says, You shall have no inheritance in their land, nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion. God is saying this to Aaron. I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. The priests were not to possess any land. They weren't supposed to have any land. Why did Phineas have land? The compromise starts real subtle. 
And maybe we won't even catch it ourselves in our own lives. Now, the book of Judges, it covers the historic period of the nation of Israel from the death of Joshua to the beginning of the kings. And it's roughly about 300 or 400 years. The book, Judges, the book of Judges is actually a real, uh, kind of depressing book. started reading it. It's quite sad. A tragic history of their failure to consistently worship and honor God. A lesson for all of us. So in chapter 13, we get into the birth of Samson. Chapter 13, verse 1. It starts with the word again. (laughs) I don't know about you, but if God is going to write a book about me. I'd hate for it to start like this. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, he did this six times before. This is the seventh time he's doing this. And the 40 years, this is the longest. This is the longest it's going to be. Again, they fell into sin again. And that's something we could relate to because we're sinners. Samson is born into a world of bondage. But it's announced that he's going to be a deliverer. In all this, we have a, a young couple that is seeking the Lord. Manoah and his wife. So the angel of the Lord, he makes his announcement. And the angel of the Lord is no ordinary angel, right? He appears throughout the Old Testament to Abraham, to Jacob, in a flame of fire to Moses, to Joshua, to Gideon, and now to Manoah. Several appearances. And so Samson is called to be a Nazarite, a deliverer. In Numbers chapter 6, it tells us all about the law of the Nazarite because he's going to be called to be a Nazarite. In Numbers chapter 6, he says, a man or a woman can take this vow to separate yourself to the Lord, separate from wine or similar drink, vinegar, grape juice, You can't even eat grapes or raisins. Nothing from the grapevine, from seed to skin, and no razor upon his head until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself. And again, in chapter 6, it says of Numbers, um, they shall not go near a dead body, even if it's his own family. A person taking a vow of a Nazarite can put a time on it. I didn't know that before. This person can also use this time uh, to serve the Lord. Maybe uh, even uh, the possibility to enter the priesthood, which was only given to Aaron and his family, the Levites. See, God is being fair here. 
if you believe you're called into ministry and you're not in, in you know, the Levite's family line, you're not in the, the line of, of Aaron, you, you can't be a priest. But what if you love the Lord so much and you want to serve him? You're going to say, hey, that's not fair. I'm not part of his family. God made a way here for those who want to serve him. You could make the vow of a Nazarite. And you could even do it, let's say, just for a year. And you do your time. You're going to check it out. See if this is really what you want to do. Or is it just emotions or what? Or you could do it for your life. If you vow for your whole life, you're, you're practically a Nazarite. You're, I mean, you're practically a Levite. Taking that Nazarite vow. God making a way. for his children and those who love him can serve him. That's just like all of us. We have, all of us have an opportunity to serve here at church. You don't have to. Nobody makes you do it, but you have that opportunity. And so in the thankfulness of your heart, you volunteer your time, your abilities, your talents, your skills to whatever the Lord has called you to do. And you want to do it because you're so in love with the Lord, and you're so thankful for what he's done for you, the forgiveness that he's given to you, you want to give it back. That's the vow of a Nazarite. But see, Samson is being called into it. For his whole life, he's being called into it. He's going to be given opportunities that no one else would ever have. He's going to be encouraged. He's going to be uh, just given so much. We notice in uh, verse 9, we're going to be jumping around a little bit, but in uh, chapter 13, verse 9, God listens to Manoah because what happens is the angel of the Lord appears to his wife. And we're not giving it her name, but uh, he wasn't there with her at the time. So he prays, you know, Let me come back again. I, I, I want to meet you. I want to see you. I want to talk to you. So, so God actually listens to Manoah's voice. And he, he appears to his wife again. They get together. And... Uh, um, Manoah asks him in verse 11, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. You know, God, God's title there, I am. Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? Because he told him earlier, that told the, the woman that, He's going to be a Nazarite unto the Lord. So in verse 13, he says, So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let, let her be careful. She may, not, she may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink, any, or drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. So he repeats 
what he said to her to the husband. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, verse 15, Please let us detain you, and we will prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. Because he is the Lord, right? It says, For Manoah did not know he was the angel of the Lord. And in verse 17, he says, Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? That when your words come to pass, we may honor you. And when the angel of the Lord said, said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Wonderful, extraordinary, or surpassing, right? Dealing with the character and his nature, the nature of God. And isn't it interesting, in Isaiah 9, 6, he says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is God right here. So in verse 22, Manoah realizes this is God. And he says that they're going to, that they're going to die now because they saw God. Exodus thirty-three twenty even tells us no man can see God and live. But his wife straightens him out in verse 23. Uh, he says, um, or she says rather, if the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. Look, if God wanted to kill us, he would have killed us. He's God. But look what he's going to do. So she straightened him out. See, God doesn't force anyone, not even through this man who was brought into this world, Samson, with such great potential. He says, he's going to bring you a son. And so, this man, Samson, the Nazarite, he's going to be told what to do for this commitment that he's making. And his parents have all the directions they need. And he's going to grow up and he's going to make a choice. God's not going to force him. He is going to make a choice. Verse 25 says, The Spirit of the Lord began to move. The Lord blessed him. See, God equipped him and enabled him. Samson is ready to choose and to do what God has called him to do. Such great potential. But what happened? (laughs) What happened between chapter 13 and 14? Because look at the first verse in chapter 14. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. He's hanging out in the Philistine town, checking out the girlies. What's he doing? What happened between 13 and 14? I mean, we don't know, but 
he was ready. God enabled him. God equipped him. But he made a choice. God gives us his word. He gives us fellowship. He gives us church. He gives us a pastor. He gives us time for worship. We are encouraged and we are ready to face the week, to face life. And what do we do? Do we stand tall in our calling or do we make a different choice and fall to our flesh like Samson is doing here? In chapter 14, verse 2, So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I've seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me. (laughs) Get her for me as my wife. And we kind of see a little bit of his personality here. Kind of see what he's turned into. He's in a pagan city, hanging out with the world, checking out the girls. What's he doing? Asking his mommy and daddy to get his wife for him. Why wasn't he able to get to work it out himself, to win her over himself? He says, just go get her. He starts to look kind of weak here, kind of spoiled. In uh, a study Xavier gave, he was going over judges. He says he believes Samson looked more like Gilligan. Do you guys know who Gilligan is? I thought that was funny. See, but God has a plan. Because he's looking kind of weak here. Verse 4. But his father and mother did not know that it was the Lord. That he would that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Now, that verse kind of threw me off a little bit because is it saying that... Sam, I thought it was saying that Samson had a plan and the parents didn't know it. No, but if you notice that it says that he was seeking, the Lord was seeking a plan, an occasion to move against the Philistines. And... Samson's father and mother didn't know it. The Lord had a plan. God is going to use this guy. Even though he's doing all this stuff, he's doing all this flesh, God is seeking to use him and use a, a, seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. God's purposes are going to be done. They will be completed. God has a plan even in Samson's flesh. God's going to use this against the enemy. And doesn't Corinthians tell us God chooses the weak things of this world to confound the wise? So what's God doing here, really? He's going to show us this strong man. But he looks kind of weak. Now, verses 7 through 10, the parents are getting involved here. The parents arranged the marriage to this Philistine girl and her family. And on the way down there, Samson kills a lion. 
without the parents' knowledge, with his bare hands. And they went down together. So I don't get that, but they went down together. And he tore the lion apart like a little goat, it says. The parents didn't notice that he was gone. Obviously, they weren't there with him. If he's tearing apart a lion and the lion roared at him and he attacked him, and obviously he was by himself. They went down together, but suddenly he's by himself. Do you ever have one of those kids that just run off? And you've seen those parents, the kids run off and they do nothing about it. And you're stuck watching someone else's kid. You don't even know whose kid that is. It's just, whose, whose kid is this? It just, he's running off by himself. And that, that's what this reminds me of. Here, here they go down together and Samson's by himself. And then he tears apart this lion. So, and he, he's touching now a dead lion. And this is against everything of the vow that he took. And I was wondering, they didn't, when they got together, they didn't notice all the blood on him? Uh, I don't, there had to be blood all over unless he washed himself and stuff. So they were traveling apart. I don't know. After all the arrangements are made, he goes back, you know, for the wedding. He goes back to check out that lion that he killed. And that's another thing he's not supposed to do. Go back again. And he's, he's checking out a dead car- carcass of a lion. He's not supposed to do that as a Nazarite. So he's breaking his vows. He doesn't care about his vows. So he gets near this dead carcass and there's a beehive with honey and he takes by the hand some honey and he eats it and he gives some to his parents. He doesn't even have respect for his parents. He just gives it to them. And he doesn't tell them. But you know what's funny? They don't even ask. Hey, where'd you get this? Or maybe they did ask and he lied. I don't know. It doesn't say right here. They just took it and ate it. He's lying. He doesn't care. Or he's omitting truth, which is a lie too or half-truth, it's still lying. Does this sound like a man of God to you? It's tough. But God is going to use him. So um, at this feast that the parents arranged, it's a seven-day feast, and Samson makes a deal with some friends that the parents bring over. Who are these people? They have friends in Philistine cities. Well, first of all, the parents, they, they've obviously given in to Samson. He wants a wife of the Philistines. He gets a wife. They, they gave in. And now they're part of Samson's sin. They're compromising for their son. That's tough. Now, if you have a difficult child, you know that difficult children are difficult to raise. And if they're going to be tough kids, you have to be a tough parent. I mean, I'm learning this firsthand. 
My, my son is 16, and he's tough. I didn't want to be that tough. I didn't want to work that hard, but you got to do it. you got to stand firm your ground, or your kids will run right over you. Manipulate you, you know. Do the... They'll turn, turn arguments around right in your face. you got to stand strong. Especially you fathers, you have to stand strong to your boys. Boys are tough. They get in your face. And the girls are tough too, but you know, you got to stand strong as a parent. And here in chapter, the end of chapter 14, we don't see that. I don't see that. Giving consequences to their son, I don't see any consequences. Did they punish him at all for what happened here? No. They're just giving in. He's running around crazy through the fields, killing animals. They don't even notice. Stand strong for your kids. And give them the consequences. They're asking for it. That's why I tell my my boys. I go, you guys are asking for it. (laughs) So in chapter 15, it seems uh, Samson is trying uh, to apologize um, to his fiancée. Right, Because at the end of 14, he ends up leaving. I'll let you read that on your own. Um, He ends up leaving because of this uh, riddle that he made. He made this little riddle. And he tells his his 30 new friends that he would give them 30 pieces of clothing, this real rich clothing, if, if they could solve the riddle. But they can't because he's, his riddle has to do with this lion and the dead carcass. So only, only he knows about it. So how could, they, how could they figure it out? So he's kind of a trickster, this guy. Prankster. It's like a, a teenager pulling a little trick here. Well, these guys that he's with at this party for this fest, festival, this uh, they go in on it. I think they, they could be drinking. and say, oh, yeah, all right, we could solve this. No problem. Just tell us the riddle. Well, so anyway, they, they don't f- figure it out. They go to the young girl. She ends up snitching on, on, on him. Uh, they figure it out. He gets so mad. He, he goes down to the, the next Philistine town and kills 30 people to get their clothing to pay these guys. Craziness. So he doesn't consummate his his marriage. He doesn't, he leaves this town, he does this thing, and then he takes off. Again, like a little kid, he's in the fields running around. What's he doing? He's gone. Well, in verse 15... It says, in a time of wheat harvest. So some time has passed. And Samson is now coming back to his young wife. But he's going to bring a goat here as a peace offering, a little gift. Wouldn't that be a nice gift for you ladies, a goat? Bring a goat. Um, So... 
the girl's father gave her away to the best man. <laughs> there was a seven-day festival. You, you took off. We'd know where you were. The best man is here. It's, we're going to give her to him, okay? And, and a lot of marriages, sometimes there's, a, there's kind of a business deal going on here as well. You know, he has daughters. He wants them wed. He needs, he needs to do that. So he gave it to the best man. He gave her to the best man. Well, as you can imagine, Samson is not happy about that. And the kind of tantrum that could happen here with this guy you've got to tread carefully. I don't know if you've ever have, uh, had a child like that. You know he's going to throw a tantrum, and you have to be ready. You're going to say no, and they're going to get lost in their minds, and then you have to lay down the consequences. The whole thing, it just, you're going to have to get ready for it. So here he comes. Samson walks in. The father-in-law says, uh, no, I gave, it, I gave her to the best man. So yeah, he, he flipped out. Verse 6 of chapter 15. Because Samson burned their crops using foxes, and he put their tails on fire, and he set them through the fields... The Philistines then take revenge on this family. They want to know why this Samson guy did this. This was their livelihood. They're all farmers. He, he got, I think, uh, what was it, 300 foxes? I don't know how you find 300 foxes, first of all, but catch them. And that was the ability he had. He can grab an animal, the animal's probably biting him and it, it doesn't hurt him at all. He's not, he's not wounded whatsoever. He gets these foxes, he ties their tails together and throws them into the field. And if you ever saw your dog chasing his, his tail around, they go crazy with trying to get their tail. So they're, they're running out, the whole place is ablaze, the whole, the whole field and their wine... Uh, their vineyards got torched as well. This was big, major loss. They are very upset. They're, they're going to kill somebody. They're going to get this person. So because he did that, they, the Philistine, Philistines, they find out who did this and why did this happen. And uh, they end up, uh, they burn the young wife and her father. Now, all this is going on, this is, this is Samson's doing. Samson serves himself and takes revenge on the Philistines because of his anger to his, his, anger to his future father-in-law. And then he, he takes this skill that he has and he uses it He's misrepresenting the Lord. He misrepresents God by using his ability, abilities that God has given to him to slaughter them. He's very, he's, you see kind of the selfish thing going on here with him. 
in, uh, in chapter 15, verse 10, uh, he goes, the men of Judah talked to him. Um, so, let's backtrack a little bit. Now, the Philistines went up in verse 9 encamped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? So they answered, We have come up to arrest Samson to do to him as he has done to us. They're going to get him. And verse 11, Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. (laughs) Profound, okay. um, Hey, they did this to me. I'm just getting back to them. He used his ability and his strength that God gave him for revenge. What does God say about revenge? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He's using this for his own purposes. And now Judah's in trouble. Verse 12. So they say, but they say to him, we've come down to arrest you, that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. They want him out of there. He's trouble. Then Samson said to them, he didn't want to kill them. They're his brethren. He says, swear to me that you will not kill me yourself, yourselves. So they spoke to him, saying, no, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand. But we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes, brand new, and brought him up from the rock. And when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. All right, there he is. Let's get him. And he's tied up. Then the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. God is using him still. And the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire. And his bonds broke loose from his hands. Like someone had burned it. It's just like ash just came right off. These were brand new ropes. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand. He's not supposed to touch dead things, remember. Uh, Reached out his hand and took it and killed a thousand men with it. And then Samson said, verse 16, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. In Hebrew, it's kind of a song. He's kind of laughing and singing about this whole thing. But see, God is getting his purposes done here with the Philistines. And he's using this guy. And throughout the book of Judges, the people have got back to the Lord and then they fail. They get back to the Lord and they fail again. And and Samson is, is no different. He was equipped He was given power. 
He, the, the prophecy of his coming, everything. He had everything. And he's failing in. Interesting about donkeys, too. They're unclean animals. Let's go to chapter 16. <clears throat> There's just so much here. I can't go through it. Um, in chapter 16, we see Samson in a town again. And why was he there? 16 verse 1. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. He's still looking at girls. He's going to another... He, he just loves the, uh, the pagan women. Is it, is it the way they dress? Is it the way they act? Is it the way they, uh, they carry themselves regarding uh, sexual practices? See, God, is, he reveals everything to us. Nothing is in secret in the eyes of God. And, and this is something you would think, okay, in your uh, biography, uh, you hope no one finds out and you, that the people aren't reading about you, that, you know, that, that this is something that is shameful and, and, and would, no one would ever find out. But God is putting it right out there about this guy. The eyes are open to the Lord. And Samson here now has this reputation. And the people from Gaza, they want him dead. What are, the, what, what are the, some of the reputations he has here? Okay, that he's strong. Uh, that he's a prankster. That he lies. He's a trickster. He's kind of a, he's kind of a brat. Um, he gets what he wants. And he, uh, he loves women. His reputation is out there. Everybody knows it. So uh, verse 16, the, in verse 2, he says the, the Gazites are, were told that Samson was there. So, hey, he's here. Let's get him. And so uh, they were quiet all night by the gate. They were going to, you know, ambush him but he stood real quiet up until midnight he knew they were right there by by the gates so he kind of uh, grabbed the gates <laughs> okay i'll just grab the gates and pull them off so he grabbed the gates he pulls them off and he takes them a couple of miles across the to a hilltop we're talking about a gates of a wall they're probably as big as this this wall right here it's just he just pulls them off along with the posts, too. And I'm sure after that, everyone said, that's all right, we're going to leave him alone. Okay, he just pulled those gates out, and they're way over there. It kind of sounds like a college prank. You wake up, and there's the, the uh, mascot on top of a fountain or something. Just You know, they take apart a car, and they put it inside your dorm room. It's like, this is, this is what's... He took the gates out and he carried them to the hill right on the opposite side of the town so everyone can see. Well, part of that was he didn't... He's warning them, don't mess with me. You know, he's a tough guy. Strong guy. So in verse 4, after... So we kind of change 
story a little bit after that. In verse 4, we move on. It happened that uh, he loved a woman. Here's the women again. He loved a woman in the valley of Sarek, whose name was Delilah. So starting in verse 4, he falls in love with Delilah. And, and we can ask again, what is he doing? He knows, but he purposely turns his back on God. And you know what? His enemies know. His enemies know his weakness. He's very blatant about it. See, his weakness was not in his hair. His weakness was in women and his flesh. And Samson now begins to get set up by the Philistines. They got him now because he's in love. Now we're going to get him. (laughs) Now in chapter 16 and verse 16... It says it came to pass that when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. You see, what was happening was the leaders of the Philistines, they went to Delilah and they said, we're going to give you all this silver, but you need to tell us what his weakness is so, so he can get, so we can come in and, and get him. And, uh, Do we read in all her love that that she denies them and tells them no way? You'll have to kill me first? No. She sees the money. She says, bring the money. And that's what they do. They bring the money. So she starts pestering him about how to make him weak. Right? And three times he lies to her and tells her about it what it is that is his weakness. He's a liar. He, he doesn't care. He's playing a game. So the fourth time, though, his soul was vexed. <laughs> he couldn't take it anymore. But you know what? He also loved her. And he knew he was hurting her. And so the leaders of the Philistines knew this. We're, we're gonna, we're gonna, his weakness is women, but now it's more concentrated on her. Keep, keep at it, Delilah, and, and he'll, he'll give in to you because he loves you. His heart was vexed to death, it says. That he told her all his heart. He spilled it all, his whole heart. I'm not sure exactly what that means, all his heart. Did he tell her his whole life story? about how evil he's been and how God called him from the very beginning and how his parents told him that that they they met the angel of the Lord. Did, Did he tell her all that? All that was in his heart. And he said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God. From my mother's womb. If I'm shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Now, he's disregarded his other vows. 
And his weakness, I mean, his weakness didn't come. He, he was still strong. How did he know that that would do it? Well, it could be that that was the last one. That was the only thing he hasn't done, is cut his hair. He's done everything else. He's disregarded it all except the hair. And the hair as a vow as a Nazarite um, would get so long, people knew, oh, this is a holy guy. This guy has separated himself for the Lord. He's given himself to God. This was a show and it was disrespectful kind of thing because the women had long hair. So you as a man with that very long hair, it's kind of embarrassing. I had long hair. People thought when I had long hair that I was a girl or something. You know, they looked twice. Hey, look, oh, that's a guy. You know, it's, it's, I had long hair when I was younger and So back then, it's like, this is, a, this is something a man you wouldn't see with that long hair. And so it, it showed that this person loved the Lord. It was one of those things that was on the outside. It showed that this is someone who's separated for God. It's like you in your, in your walk with the Lord. You show some things in your walk. Things about your face, things about the clothes you wear. And people kind of come up to you, don't they? They say, hey, there's something different about you. Or they'll come up to you and talk to you. And, you know, you have some wise things to say. There's things that show about your characteristics as you walk with the Lord that people can see it. People see it. That was this right here. This last, very last thing. Everyone knew he was a Nazarite. He had this super cool long hair, right? But he, he opens his heart to her. He has no idea she's just been given tons of cash. She has not returned her love. As much as he loves her, she loves the money. In verse 18 of chapter 16, when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she, she saw that, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come, come up at once, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand, they brought the money. They were ready to pay up. They were going to keep their end of the bargain. And in verse 19, Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Well, that's convenient. He had it all braided, seven little locks and stuff. But... He didn't wake up when this guy was shaving his head. Crazy. Then she began to torment him. And his strength left him. Now before the other three times, she called the guys in. He's tied up. And then they came in and then he like killed them all. 
And they, so they didn't want to do that the fourth time. She did it herself this time. And they saw, okay, we're in the clear. They saw that his strength had left him. Samson's strength was not because of his hair. Once again, he disregarded his vow. Vows are really important to the Lord. He, he, can, he can care less about them. I think about Esau and his birthright. He, he, didn't, he disregarded that. He, he just wanted that stew. He's like, oh, I'm so hungry, I'm going to die. A man of the belly. Right? He's just thinking about his flesh. In 16, verse 20, then she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he woke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Wow. It's interesting that he didn't know the Lord departed from him. I don't know, but for me, that was like a heavy statement. And I pray that we will never be in that kind of uh, distance from the Lord. Where uh, we're so far from God. That when he's departed from our lives, you don't even know it. That you don't even notice. The Lord's absence in your life. Samson, uh, in verse 30, we'll skip down a little bit. Samson dies, but the death of a soldier. He doesn't commit suicide. His death was not a suicide, but a soldier giving his life. He had one last chance. Let's go to... Sixteen twenty-five. So it happened when their hearts were merry. That means they, they had caught him. They had captured him. He was in prison. The Philistines were celebrating. That they said, call for Samson that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison. And he performed for them. He did perform for them. I mean, how humiliating. I mean, the guy can't see. They plucked his eyes out. And they threw him in prison. And a little boy had to lead him to where they were. And then he had to perform for them. What did he have to do? Did he have to sing or dance? I don't know. He had to perform for them. And they stationed him between two pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who led him by the hand, a young boy, let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. All of them were there. About 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. They all were having a great time. They were laughing at this guy. They were all there. In verse 28, 
Samson called to the Lord. Finally, Samson calls to the Lord. Saying, oh Lord God, remember me this once. Oh God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. Now, he's, he's, still, he's still a little self-centered right here. He's not doing it for the Lord. He's doing it. I want revenge for my eyes. Look what they did to me, God. Now, part, he, he wants to do God's will here, and he's calling to the Lord, but he's still a little twisted in his soul here. He wants to take revenge. But God's going to use him. God's going to use this sinner. You know what? God uses sinners all the time, doesn't he? Look at this church. (laughs) We're all sinners. All right. So, in verse 29, he says, And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them. One on his right, and the other on his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might. And the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So I think it's interesting that before we never hear that, that he used all his might, that he really had to push hard to do something. He just did it. Go grab a lion, tear him apart like, like, like he was a little goat. Go grab the gates of the city and carry them up a hill like it was nothing. Break these ropes like it's nothing. He, he didn't have to try with all his might, and this time he did. As he prayed to the Lord, he needed to use his own might for this. And it fell. God used him. And we read that earlier, how God was seeking to use Samson for the Philistines to do a work to free his people under bondage of these Philistines. God had his eyes on his children. He loved his children. He wanted to free them. How many times in Judges? He wants to free them from their bondage, but they keep turning back to sin over and over again. And he needs to be, he's going to be a good father. And he's going to discipline them. So, continuing in verse 30, And the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life, in all his life. Here was the ultimate purposes of God, complete, done. Was there a better way that he could have done this? I would imagine so. He had the free will to choose this. In the last verse, verse 31, and his brothers 
and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael in the tomb of his father Manoah. We've come full circle now. What happened to Manoah? The tomb of Manoah, all we, remember, all we hear now that he's in there with him. He had a tough kid. And Manoah could have possibly not been a tough dad. The last verse in chapter 16, he had judged Israel 20 years. This was 20 years. Because he consorted with the Philistines so often in his life, he found um, and found that their women were irresistible. Samson is now found with the Philistines in his death. He liked hanging out with them. He's going to die with them. You find him now a corpse among corpses in the rubble of Dagon's temple. Separation unto the Lord would have earned him a nobler death than that. This is a heavy lesson for us. Our sanctification. What we decide to do, how we decide to live, the things we put aside, the the world wants us. The world would have you to uh, compromise in, in little things. Maybe no one even knows. God knows. He sees you. He sees everything. Loss of sanctification leads to loss of power and eventual ruin, as we see in Samson's life right here. To yield to sin is to pursue self-destruction. We've got to be strong. That is Samson. A sad story. But something we could all learn from. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your grace, Lord, to, to show us, Father, what it is to be sanctified, what it means to separate ourselves from the world and to hang on to you, Lord. Father, we pray for forgiveness of sin. If there's a compromise, any compromise going on in our lives, <clears throat> I pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength to put them aside, to make better decisions, to stand strong for you. If our children are compromising and they're still within our home, Lord, give us the strength to stand strong against them and not be part of their sin. And Lord, I pray that we would have a victorious life. Lord, at the end, to be there with you, to walk into those, uh, walk into that city, Lord, with you. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. As we, as we prepare to worship one last time, if there's anyone here, 
who wants to, for the first time, give their life to the Lord. You can do that tonight. We'll pray for you. And so as we close, there's going to be a brother over here to the door, to my right over here. And he'll pray with you, maybe give you a Bible. If there's compromise in your life or you've been in a backslidden uh, way of life, uh, you could change that tonight. Father, I thank you, Lord, that your spirit just moves and accomplishes the work. It's not us. We're all sinners. But it's you, Lord. And so we thank you. Let's stand.